0: Visit Stubforge.com and start making tickets today. Is creeping don't follow it down. You may know them as con artists, grifters, confidence men, charlatans or even swindlers, but you won't know them by sight. These shapeshifters hide in plain view and for those unfortunate enough to cross paths with them, like my sister Emma, the trail of anarchy left in their wake is devastating. Coming up in this episode...
1: My brother was like, well, that sounds dodgy. That doesn't sound like it needs to happen in the first place.
2: But certainly nothing that, right, that you would think actually this guy is a complete con because who thinks like that? That's when I start thinking...
1: Who wants not go to jail just for nothing?
2: But it just kept sitting with me, it just kept sitting with me, and my gut just kept basically screaming at me, something is not right. Something is not right, and make sure she doesn't lend him any money. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris, and this is my story, Conning the Con.
0: Something is creeping in, don't
3: follow it down. They've done research with people who are high in psychopathy and they get women to rate them on their dating desirability and they find that the higher someone is in psychopathic traits, the more desirable they are rated as potential partners by women. This is a real phenomenon that exists. They are very compelling and attractive.
0: Dr Muir there with a genuinely chilling fact. We seem to be built with some kind of self-sabotage switch or a dodgy dude-picker predisposition. I guess the only saving grace for those on the dating scene is that the numbers of potential partners with psychopathy, it is relatively low, 1% of the population or thereabouts. So for the majority of those swiping left and right, the odds of meeting a person with psychopathy would be forever in your favour. But there is, of course, that 1% chance that you might be as unlucky as my sister Emma was when she swiped right on the man she knew as Andrew Thompson. Now, I'm no psychologist and certainly in no position to know whether Andrew fitted into that 1%. We can't ever really know what his true intentions were when he went on Tinder that day. But as you hear the story, I'm sure you'll come to your own conclusions. They'd been dating since October 18, and by that December, their relationship was deepening. But it hadn't all been plain sailing. His lack of online profile, it seemed like a minor red flag, compared to the alleged wrongful imprisonment in a Melbourne jail for six months. So how did Andrew manage to overcome what, in hindsight, are obvious warning signs? What Emma would probably describe now as warning signs with bright flashing and screaming sirens attached to them small things that add up over time.
1: You know, it's the, the ringing and checking in on you and the text is all the time.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: not necessarily controlling, but just that kind of, like, he was there, he was listening and worried about things. And then there was things like presents and love bombs and gifts, like those things that, uh, that kind of would just come out of nowhere. One of the things that kind of always stands out to me and it almost grates at me now is this present he gave to me uh, for Christmas. And one of them was a book for me and the other one was a book actually for my children or for me to help with, I guess, parenting. And he gave me this book called The Barefoot Investors. He knew that that was a really important thing for me is teaching my kids financial stability. It was like, you know what, I'm going to help give you this information and be be an important person, show that I'm ready for a ready-made family, which is the words he used to use. So there was those kind of presents, and then he would uh, take me away. So my birthday and Christmas, it was like, let's go to Auckland, I'll take you. You know, I'm just going to, it's all on me, just come along and we'll just take you away. And, I, and I'm and i not someone that's necessarily comfortable with that sort of stuff. Like, I do like to be a bit Dutch and sheer, and, mm. and especially getting to know somebody. Like, I've, it almost got to the point where I felt like I was living beyond my means. I didn't want to do that.
3: The kind of grand gestures and spontaneity and sweep you off your feet type Behaviors can tend to signal kind of impulsiveness. But again, like some of these things that can be part of just falling in love and people do spontaneous romantic gestures. So again, it's like putting it in the context of all the other warning signs that you're getting.
0: So Dr. Muir's not saying next time your new partner whisks you off on a romantic getaway, shop him as a con man immediately. But she is saying do check in with all the other signals you're getting and listen to that all important gut reaction. For Emma, it appeared that Andrew was wanting to invest time and money into building a future together, but he still had plenty of other plates spinning and talk of his work, well, it was never very far away. So we had an alcohol business that he was buying into
1: and he also had a restaurant that he was currently looking at uh, buying as well, completely outright and then he also had a lot of involvement with trucking companies because that was part of his past in Australia. And he was working with a national trucking company that involved freighting cold um, products around New Zealand. And then he was also working with a local company based in central Otago. And then there was property, which was the one that he began to add in over the few months. Property was something that he knew I was interested in and he was all about developing that. So that wasn't at the start, but he started to
0: bring that in. So many business ventures, I cannot keep them all straight. Have you ever heard the saying, throw something at the wall and see what sticks? Kind of felt like that's what Andrew was doing. He'd created a broad enough range of business ventures that maybe at least one of them would help him part Emma with her money. And it wasn't long before he narrowed that down to property. So Andrew starts to gently blur the lines between business and the relationship he does it little by little and even date by date. Some of the dates was actually taking me to the
1: properties that he um, was trying to look at buying and was wanting me to, to be involved with long term. So he took, to, took me to one in a place called Moak Lake and drove me past that and was like, this is where it is. So there were so many parts of it that were that trust building I think that's part of it too is when you're in a relationship and you're starting to get to know someone, there are so much happy hormones. You want to trust this is good and you, you feel swept away. So, like, I'm not going to deny that it was lovely to be treated nicely and that, that yeah. dopamine and happy hormones, it's like, that's what the foundations of what, I guess, love builds from. And so I know that that clouds judgment. And uh, as well as you kind of need to listen to your gut and check these things, When I did do that, I couldn't get the information that I needed at that point.
3: It is very tricky because in hindsight, a lot of things will seem so obvious now that that might not have at the time. But I think one of the important things is obviously checking in with that gut instinct. And that's all along the way. It's noticing the difference between maybe how you feel when you're with them versus how you feel afterwards. So, I think that's probably where you'll find a real incongruence. So when you're with them, you feel enthralled and captivated and excited. But if you're left leaving that interaction feeling like really perplexed and confused and like, well, hold on, something's, something's missing. I think that's something to check in with throughout the way. Ah, the all-important gut
0: there again. And Emma's she knew was feeling a little bit off, but she was confused And the reason she felt confused was part of Andrew's credibility. It came from adding a sprinkling of truth to his many, many lies. Well, One of the things
1: was the wakeboarding and water skiing. So he talked about being a competitive wakeboarder and water skier. He then showed showed me really that he could do all that stuff and so he's behind my family boat and he gets out there and then he pops up and just goes form and like skied it like he owned it dropped the one ski and
0: the kids the kids were even like (laughs) my little boy goes show off andrew didn't actually meet the children until february 2019 but before he could meet the children there was one hurdle he had to get past first and that was meeting our family Now, being from a large family scattered around New Zealand, and for my part, the other side of the world, it takes a really special occasion to bring us all together. So my mum's surprise 70th birthday was the perfect occasion for us to meet Emma's new boyfriend. It wasn't going to be plain sailing for Andrew. As a collective, we had our doubts about this guy that just sounded a little bit too good to be true. And Emma had already told him it was likely to be a bit of a meet-the-fockers, minus the lie detector machine. If only we'd had one of those. Well, along
1: the way, they definitely had sort of, had heard us go, that just doesn't sound right. I'd gone back and said, well, I've had this kind of a bit, can, you know, you want to, he'd said to me he wanted to lease this Audi car and that he was oh, getting this Audi car as part of his business, and that it was coming from Australia. And, and my, my brother was like, well, that sounds dodgy. That doesn't sound like it needs to happen in the first
0: place. And it wasn't just the family that had questioned Emma's new relationship with Andrew. Her friends were also feeling uneasy. In the aftermath, Emma asked her friend Joe what her initial reaction was when she had shared details of this budding romance. I remember mean, going, just losing my breath for a minute. And I did lose my breath and thought, this is your life, Mm. (laughs) I suppose, because you're the one that's made the decision. You seem to have talked me out a little bit of stuff because you just seemed so positive. So it would be like you would talk me out of it. So I'd be like going on with, oh, yeah, well, she thinks it's okay. Maybe it is. Maybe I'm overthinking it. And Emma's friend, Sasha, who was one of her closest confidants as well as her workmate, had a similar reaction.
2: I mean, there was things that I was just like, mm, that's strange, that doesn't really make sense, but Emma seems to be happy and I'm not sure. So there was definitely sort of little warning bells all along, but certainly nothing that, right, that you would think actually this guy is a complete con because who thinks like that? I certainly was not thinking like that.
0: So it's fair to say that we were all pretty sceptical of this guy and his supposed business Midas touch. He was definitely on our radars. It was around that time that the Netflix series Dirty John had come out. And if you've been living under a rock and haven't seen it, it's the true story of an American woman who is targeted by a con man straight out of prison. Being a lover of true crime, I had immediately binged the series, and on our next Skype catch-up, I couldn't resist asking Emma how her new boyfriend Dirty Andrew was. It was tongue in cheek, but in all honesty, I really just wanted to test how he would react. Well, he didn't really like that. And I ended up watching the last few episodes by myself uh, because I was like, this is fascinating. But,
1: and he said he did watch it as well because he loves kind of disturbing stuff. He uh, really
0: does. We have the same Netflix binge. Yeah, you guys list. actually
1: kind of got on really well. And that was an yeah. important person for me is, was you meeting him to see your reaction in many ways. Yeah. And he, you grilled him. You grilled him on the couch and you were like, okay, tell us about this. And he, He's told story after story that he told yeah, me he did. again straight to your face.
0: Yeah, I mean, I really did go in there looking to find fault. And then when I met him, I just thought he's just so like affable and charming, mm. but not arrogant and just easygoing. And I couldn't put my finger on it, I couldn't. And I understand. I understand how it happens because yep. even going into it, knowing that we felt that way, I still mm. walked away thinking, okay, I think he just he's just one of these people that's really a yep. bit of a risk taker with business, yeah, um, a real entrepreneur and, yeah, a mover and a shaker, but in a really nice way and he's got a kind heart. That's yeah. how I felt yeah. when I'd met him. Yeah. So now I've been sucked in as well. I mean, how could I have gone from sceptical Sarah to sucked in Sarah so quickly? All the stories that Emma had told me over FaceTime about him, well, they were still red flags. And yet, on meeting him, he could overcome them so effortlessly. So we asked Dr. Muir, why is it that humans default to truth?
3: This one depends on your worldview. I think there are a lot of people out there who, who trust wouldn't be the default for. But if overall you've had mostly positive experiences in interpersonal relationships and you've got the belief system that you're a competent, good person, other people are trustworthy, the world is a safe place, you haven't been betrayed before significantly, you're going to tend to interpret your experiences through that worldview. So you'll be wanting your experiences to to be coherent and to fit with that. Um, So you'll probably be more likely to filter information to, to fit within that picture But also there is an evolutionary advantage to trusting people. We evolved in these kind of hunter-gatherer groups where we needed to be cohesive units and get along and have some degree of trust. So trust does have advantages. Of course, you needed to have some alertness to threat, but it is an adaptive trait overall.
1: And so at that point then, after kind of a few more months, he, he did meet my kids and, you know, I was so nervous. And he won them over.
0: Straight away. And I
1: think that, mm. oh, he did. He had them laughing and happy. And I, I've i obviously been on a roller coaster with this, and I'm still very angry that he would bring that into it because those two people do not deserve to have that. So I guess, yeah, moving on from that, he he's just becomes a bit more in my day-to-day life. Um, we still live further apart, but then he'd already talked about moving over to where I was. He ended up moving in March, of 2019 over to Queenstown and he rented a beautiful property and his mum came over at that point to help. She was coming over anyway for his birthday and she stayed for about a week. Honestly, she was, again, salt of the earth, lovely woman, really mm. kind and sweet to have around and I just, you know, I wanted to get to know her as part of that because she was actually the first person that I really got to know as part of his family or a circle.
0: And what better way to build trust than to introduce his lovely, kind-hearted mother to Emma? It seems like a very risky move on Andrew's part for several reasons, not least of all being that he was using a fake last name. There was a real risk he was going to blow his cover. Why do con artists throw so much caution to the wind?
3: People who con others—that I mean—the whole sort of part of their personality structure is that they don't care about risk. They're not deterred by risk. That's where they live, in that risk zone. That's their day-to-day for them. They're always carrying the risk that this house of cards could collapse. So while it might seem, like, just irrational to someone else, that's just, that's just their way of life.
0: But let's go back to Andrew's circle of friends. I wanted to know why, after months of dating, Emma wasn't concerned that she hadn't met anyone other than his mother. And it was times we'd be going out and he goes, oh, I'll, I'll try and get hold of him and see if they can meet up
1: and oh these guys are away for the weekend but when we've got the new house they'll come and stay because I love that and it felt like you knew them again because of the stories he told the photos he showed me mm-hmm. and he's like
0: oh they've just gone away it's so annoying and you're like mm. so it wasn't like Andrew didn't have any friends it's just they were all away on holiday at the same time for months on end But luckily for Andrew, Emma wasn't overly concerned because she had met his mother, a real-life salt-of-the-earth human being, and that gave Emma a level of security. But we still had our doubts, and that had resulted in us getting Emma to confront Andrew on more than one occasion. One of the
1: times was when he was actually, uh, well, actually part of it was to do with you, Sarah, when you were questioning um, his passport and to make sure I could see his name. I think it was around January when I was going to be going away with him flying. So he was like, you know, just see if you can see his passport. He wasn't happy. He was just like, well, you know, you shouldn't have to do that. I shouldn't have to prove that to you in the first place. And it was a small thing, but it kind of it kind of came up. And then there was another time as well, things like the business. That was the other ones that pushed back because my brother was, you know, I'd already done the research looking into these companies and looking on the company website and going, because, you know, I'm a director in my own company, so I was checking to see that he was a director in these companies he was saying he was in, and he wasn't. And, I mean, obviously that's a red flag in the first place, but I was like, I want to know why. And um, so I, I asked him, and and he said, well, actually, it's, it's, I've got an agreement with, these, with the, the, the current owners that this is a transition and that I'm going to be taking over or been buying in, and it's all to do with my Aussie business and my accountant and transitioning over, which, you know, I kind of went, okay. And I remember telling that back to my brother again, and he's like, that doesn't sound right still. So I went back and I pushed and I got this, look, your brother doesn't understand business. He doesn't understand it, which is quite funny because he's a general manager in a company. (laughs) But I remember going, um or maybe there is a different arrangement here or like, you know, it's but still not being comfortable with it. But he just pushes, it pushed back, and that was the bit where you're like, I couldn't find the information that I wanted to find to actually prove or, or disprove.
0: From October through to December, Andrew had spent his time laying the foundations for what would turn out to be his house of cards. But by December, he really needed to get things moving along. So in December twenty eighteen Andrew introduced a friend
1: and a guy that had helped him out in the last few years um, in investing, and his name was Ari. And Ari was someone that I'd, I'd I've never heard of it before him before, uh, and the way that Andrew painted Ari was he was the guy that got him into investments and gave him a leg up. And the reason why he did this was because he said that he saw potential in Andrew. And he would probably help out with me is where he was going with that. I was like, well, okay, I don't really know about that. And so he kept explaining how Ari had um, been introduced to him by a good friend um, in Tasmania, but actually Ari was from Sydney and he had an amazing lifestyle. He had the cars, he was married, but he had um, he was traveling everywhere, didn't work that much, but he had these phenomenal projects, often um, property development, uh, again, property development that I loved. Um, and then he told me about how they actually met so they met in a Hobart restaurant and they just clicked apparently it was just an amazing connection and they just you know all the ideas that Andrew was telling him about Ari got on board with and so they decided to make a deal that day and their first deal apparently was done on a napkin and maybe he was setting the scene for me to be able to be as you know frivolous or excited about deals that you do it in that way but I just went, oh, that's interesting. I hope you got a, a full loan document after that. So Ari kept coming up, and in the next few, few weeks, and he talked about how Ari was giving him a really high interest rate because of the fact that he was investing early. But the you know the project was safe, of course, when there's a high interest rate. And he he was really excited about the next project, which that one was going to be a car park development and he said you know what you know babe you can I can talk to Ari and see if you want to be involved maybe he'll be able to give you the same interest rate and see how we go from there and my initial gut reaction was like no thank you I don't want to be involved with anybody I don't understand or know even if he is someone that you know that doesn't mean that that's anything that I want to be involved in I liked knowing where my money was what I was doing and it didn't feel right at all so he still kind of came back and then even emailed me I think afterwards and sort of said look I can connect you with Ari he can give you a bit more information about the project and what's going on and that was in again December I still went back and said no that is not what I'm interested in Ari is not someone that is yeah I don't really want to be involved with it he still comes back and says well you know what I'm I'm going to invest in him and then I've also put another fund in there and Ari thinks this is hilarious i have created the love fund yep the love fund so the love fund is supposed to be this small little nest egg just for us um so we put 25000 into this love fund bearing in mind i had no interest in doing this I didn't want to be involved in it this is not the time when you start combining money or allocating money to someone in a relationship so it should have been a red flag but i was like oh whatever you can do what you want it's not my Not for me. And he's like, it will be for us. It'll be for us for holidays and travel and um, anything special we want to do. And I'm like, okay. Still,
0: I'm not interested. Okay, so he left it at that point with Ari, that is. A love fund? That is pretty intense for a relationship that was only a few months in. They seem to be moving at very different speeds. Andrew, he was full throttle, but Emma was still idling and not quite ready to commit to a project together with a mystery man called Ari. Fair enough. She was, however, making plans for investing in her own future. I was um, about
1: two years post-divorce and I was at the stage where I wanted to get even further back on my feet. Like I'd done, We'd done pretty well. My ex and I were actually really kind to each other and, and we'd, we'd separated things out and it was, we're going really well. But I was wanting to make sure that I could build a future for the kids and I, something that was stable. And that I wanted to look at how I could do that. And in the past, what I'd done was um, been involved in property. So I'd brought property in a local town close by. And my ex-husband and I had developed that and sold it on um, when we looked at separating. So it was something that I knew. And I actually really enjoyed that process of um, buying and um, developing properties. So earlier on in the dating with Andrew... I definitely brought up the fact that I'd done these developments in Cromwell, not in a way to say that this is something that I was willing to do at all at that point, but just that, you know, I've been involved in this sort of stuff. This is things that I really enjoyed. And so he did kind of know, but never in the sense as much as that that property was was my one of my investment uh, focuses. But it did end up going down that way in uh, Jet December, I was I was starting to look at those, those options. And so I wasn't being really open with them by any means. I was starting to talk to the bank and look at how I can get funding for, for that next stage for me.
0: As Emma positions herself to be ready for her own future investments, Andrew's attempts to part Emma with her money, they've hit a bit of a brick wall. But he's not prepared to give up that easily. And now, a word from our sponsors. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I
2: It's Sunday, January 19th. Nineteenth. For nearly a year, my friend Aria dated men she met online. Lots of duds, disappointments, and some disasters. But then along came Mordecai, and Aria fell hard. I opened the door. There was a woman standing there, and she said, I
0: think you know someone named Mordecai Horowitz?
2: said, oh, you better come in. In 2019, a friend of mine fell for a sensitive millionaire named Mordecai. And then she found out she wasn't the only one. It was way too good to be true. I'm Kathleen Goldhar, the host of Do You Know Mordecai from USG Audio, available now wherever you get your podcasts.
1: At that point, I think Andrew was kind of like, oh, this is a bit frustrated with the fact that I hadn't just jumped at the um, the REI idea, and he kept including one of his special people, I guess, that he would see it as, as part of his business team, and that was an accountant, the accountant in Australia, and she was... She was being involved with him all the way from restaurants and trucking companies. So he felt that she was a really important part, and more than just uh, an accountant. She was there to support him, and was and and from what he said, he was she was often he was often on the phone or in emails back and forth to to her. And then in February 2019. He said he was getting to the point where he was going to be um, moving over to, to Queenstown where he'd been putting off since uh, November because that was what he'd said for me to even be, even to hang out basically. I was like, uh, not really my thing doing distance, but he was like, no, no, it's going to happen. It's going to be fine. And so I, I, that was one of the things I kind of pushed back at because I was like, I'm just not, I just don't want this arrangement. And then he's like, no, no, I found some place, but you know what the problem is? is that the property uh, managers, they won't understand my financial document. You know, it's pretty complex, babe. Needless to say, I get this email in February, which has his financial document attached. And it was literally along that lines of, you know, I thought I'm, I'm just getting organized to get the property. And just so for your comfort, you understand where I'm at, and he showed he attached this financial document and what it had on there is it had a combination of all the businesses that he'd been working on, all the stories he'd told. So it was pretty in depth. It showed the the um, investments with which would be with Ari, like how much he'd been put into there. It is showing the money that had been invested into restaurants that he was still getting shares from. And that totaled twelve million dollars, apparently. So I sat with that and just kind of went, oh wow, well, okay. So what am I actually dealing with here? And I first gut was like, okay, that's that's pretty open and honest. And I did not ask for that, did not expect that. And first, and then I remember going, still feels very early to be sharing that kind of information or that I, you know, to to really want that. So that in many ways it should have been a red flag as well. The reason why he was showing me that was he needed to show a proof of income. And the real estate company that he was working with, or the property management, they needed to know
0: actually who this person was. And, um, but they, they believed it just as I did. It still baffles me that that document showing Andrew's financial position to be $12 million, it got past banks and lawyers, real estate agents, and all the while without being exposed as a fake at any point. So Andrew knew by
1: that stage I wasn't going to be working with Ari. That was just not an option. So he subtly kind of just dropped this little wee conversation. And it was when I was really busy, so February and March, and he, he saw that, he saw that I was working really hard, and he said, you know what, I think I can help you out. I think I can be your Ari. And that was such a, I was like, what do you mean? How can you be my Ari? And he goes, well, I've been meaning to step into um, a kind of angel investing or supporting people for a long time. And I want to be able to give people that have been, that are important to me, the leg up that I was given, that Ari gave me. And he's like, well, you're a perfect opportunity because I care for you and I've got the means, you you know, what my businesses are doing, they're doing really well, but they could do it with a bit of investment to help push them along, particularly the properties development in queenstown that he'd shown shown me as well so he was like you know what there's some really good opportunities here and i just went eh yeah no i'm not really still not still not like into the idea of it it was just like no not really and he goes well you know that i can that i've got the money behind it i've got the funds you've seen that so the document that he'd sort of laid a few weeks before then came up as this kind of, like,
0: proof. He then said, look, just, just don't think about it. I'm going to put something in writing. So later that evening, Emma goes into her office and finds Andrew's proposal and is somewhat underwhelmed. So the deal on the paper, and it was only one
1: page, was it was pretty light on details, to be honest, and it would not be a legally binding document by any means. And I said to him, look, well, I'll look at look at it and think, i you know, think it over and all I was on there was this, this idea that I could loan as much money as I wanted to to his to him and and that there'd be a really high interest rate high like we're talking 67% something ridiculous and that at any stage I could take that money out it was more the verbal one that wasn't in that piece of paper but he's always said that he always said that all the way
0: through look any stage you need that money something changes I can give it back to you straight away Initially, the document suggested that the money would go into Andrew's business to be used whenever or wherever he had need for it. But Emma didn't bite. She wanted a tangible investment, and if she was going to invest her money, it would only be if it was solely used for the property development in Queenstown. So I was like, well, he's
1: shown me that property, he's 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 shown me ideas and designs, I've been to it several times now. He's even given me documents. So I was like, okay, well, I know what it's going to be looking at, but still, uh, I, like, this isn't good enough. Like, this document, even I was like, are you serious? I was like, well, if I'm going to move forward with this or we'll even have a discussion, I've got to pull this through past my mentors, and people that support me. And so I went to my accountant who is fabulous and amazing. And she just said, look, I, I'm not the one to advise on this. You need to go and get really solid, solid legal advice on this. And um, so I went and talked with my lawyer at the time, who was also the lawyer for
0: the alcohol company, I found out later. So Andrew was known to Emma's lawyer. Granted, he wasn't representing him directly, but rather Andrew wasn't an unknown quantity to him. And who knows, maybe that did work in his favour. But I can't help but think it did make it easier for Andrew to ensure that at no point was his real identity discovered during that process. But one of the
1: things from that for me was that I thought by having a document like this, I was protected, that I'd gone down the legal pathway, that if something went wrong, if if we weren't together and, you know, that could happen quite quickly, I would
0: still have been okay. That loan agreement, it felt to Emma like it was watertight. She knew he had the money in Australia, but that was not as easy to verify from New Zealand. So Andrew put up the property in Moak Lake as security. That lovely plot of land that he had taken Emma to on one of their first dates. So Emma is feeling pretty good at this point. She's dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's. At that point,
1: I decided to put... um, $50,000 in that first loan.
0: Six months of graft and Andrew has finally hit the payload. For Emma, the interest payments they're rolling in and she's feeling excited at the prospect of the extra time with her children, which was the driver all the time, and that financial freedom that the money affords. And that 50k? Well, that's not going to burn a hole in Andrew's pocket for long. So he then was able to move into that rental property
1: and in Queenstown. And that rental was it was eight hundred dollars a week. So that place, I mean it's not cheap and it's just him living in it. At that point, he wasn't a director in the alcohol company. He was still only a director in the uh ATI company, his his own business that he was named under as the main shareholder and director. And I know that he had he said that he'd also put his lawyer on retainer as part of that. He'd also turned up with a a new Ford Ranger.
0: New house, a new car, a lawyer on retainer, and let's not forget those hefty interest payments he was paying Emma every week. Andrew was burning through that cash at a rate of knots. And what's a con artist to do when they run out of cash? Well, I'll give you one guess. So Andrew came to me
1: in March after I'd... Really done a month of the investing with him and had the payments so there had been two payments by that stage at that point i wasn't worried about doing any more or anything else with him it was like that was great that was helping cover mortgage and and i was quite happy with what was going on but he came back to me and we we're in in Glenorchy at the time and he said you know what i can i i'm really really excited that I can still help you out. And if I want to give you the things that you have always wanted, which was the financial security. But the reality of that was so that I had freedom with my kids. So he knew that motivation. He knew that that was my most important thing in my life. And so he came back and said, look, I can, we can do the same deal if you want. You can invest as much as you want you know, as much as you feel comfortable with and I, I can give you the same great deal and what we're doing at the moment is that property development that we've been working with in Queenstown, that is moving forward. I've got, that it's all signed up and we've now paid the deposit. So we now need that funding to be able to take it to the next level. So he'd painted this picture that I was, the money that was going to be going was always earmarked for that property and that that was also part of the future for a possible us I sat with it and I did numbers and I I was like okay gosh this would make a big difference to me I know I can leverage the the mortgage and again this was something that I was going to do anyway I'd already been working in that pathway as part of the loan application Andrew said that he could actually help me out and support that and he said look I can show talk to the bank I can talk to your manager and so uh, and so I ended up connecting them and he actually emailed her. I think with the document as well, the Kim document showing him how much money he had, but also said in writing to the manager that he he can personally guarantee he has $12 million in
0: assets and this shouldn't be an issue at all. He really was making a meal out of that fake financial document. I personally never saw it, but it must have been a good one because even the bank accepted it as gospel.
1: So one of my best mates, Sasha, her and I run women's retreats and men's retreats, we chat all the time. So she knew about Andrew and how he was involved in my life. But it wasn't until the retreat that we were on in March that I sort of let her in a bit more about what he was doing and his, his financial background and how he was helping me or going to help me out. So I told her because well, she's been um, my rock for so many things and I trust her and I wanted just to kind of sound off somebody. And It was during
2: the retreat that we actually talked. I think as soon as you said you were going to lend him money, that definitely put warning bells for me. And I remember you telling me on that retreat, and it just didn't sit right with me. And it was at that point, because up until that point, I was like, well, you know, it's really... Mm, it's interesting how our minds work. I was kind of like, well, you know, I, I don't know, there's some things not adding up, but has it really got that much to do with me and she seems happy. But then there was, when you said you were going to lend him some money, I was like, this does not feel right to me at all. And I think that's when I started questioning you and just saying, how much have you checked into this? You know, have you really checked it out? And have, But I also knew you and I knew that you checked details thoroughly so that's why I was sort of confused you 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 assured me but then after that I came back up home up into the North Island but it just kept sitting with me it just kept sitting with me and my gut just kept basically screaming at me something is not right something is not right and make sure she doesn't lend him any money. At this stage I was actually getting uh, excited in the
1: fact that I was going to be able to put this investment in place to then be able to step back. So 5th of April was the day, it was a Friday, and it was when we were setting up the trust documents so that the loan could be created. So that was all done and dusted on the Friday. On Monday the 8th of April, that is when the funds came into my bank account. And so that is when I had 250,000 New Zealand dollars arrive in my account and at that moment it was it felt it felt like a really big deal and that day on the monday andrew had said look you know send it over when you're ready send over that money it's fine it's when you're ready and, and before that he had been pushing at me to get that organized to get things going it was very much like is it, is it set up now is it ready to go and so that 250,000 that was in my account, got transferred over to him on Monday the 8th of April. But, on April the 9th, at 7.30am in the morning, my world came tumbling down. And that's when I found out who he really, really is. shadow dark upon the wall, moving slow and stretching tall, and her
2: hands hold them up. A
0: shadow dark upon the wall, moving slow and stretch and tall, and out to the mountains are gazing.
1: If you liked our story, please share with family and friends. And like, subscribe and review, so others can learn from my lessons. If you or anyone you know has been affected by something similar, please reach out for help. You are not alone. We've included some links in our show notes. Conning the Con was made with the input of Dr. Sophie Muir, and their original music is by the talented Aroha Min.
0: Something is creeping in, don't follow
3: On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America.
0: You're listening to Stop the Killing. I'm Sarah Ferris. Join me and my co-host, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program, Catherine Schweit.
3: I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes, I've watched the reality of poor planning, I've traced heroic acts of bravery, and I have really sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching
0: stories from survivors. Our hope is that together we can stop the cries of never again fading into Until Next Time. Hello, my tribe of true crime addicts. It's Sarah from Conning the Con podcast here, and I imagine you and I have quite a bit in common. I am a complete true crime podcast junkie, and having had the opportunity to go to CrimeCon 2021 and meet all my fellow podcasters on Podcast Row, well, I was like a kid in a candy store. Not to mention all of the incredible speakers, exhibitors, authors that were also spilling the tea there all weekend long. So don't miss out on the next CrimeCon. It's in June on the 11th and 12th in London 2022. Trust me, you don't want FOMO. Don't forget to use the code CtheC at checkout to get your exclusive Con in the Con discount. That's C-T-H-E-C. You know, like calling the con. I can't wait to meet you all there.
2: Coming up on 5 Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because... The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So, 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news
3: daily. Hi, this is Amy and Vanessa from She Goes By Jane, where we shine light on the stories of missing and unidentified women. On November 7th, we're sharing Nahida's story for the first time in a podcast. And this is a story that I thought I knew but after reading police reports, it became more complicated than I thought. When investigators are called to Nahida Khatib's house, everything looks fine. Her purse is on the kitchen table, her cup of coffee is on the counter, and her two-year-old niece is in her playpen. The only thing amiss? Nahida is missing.
2: Every week, we feature a poem written in honor of the person we're talking about. This week, we're joined by one of our favorite actresses. You might know her from Sister Act or King of the Hill or The Descendants. But if you're like us, you'll know her from Hocus Pocus. She's the much-beloved Kathy Najimy. Join us, November 7th, to hear Nahida's story.